It's good to hear the buzz of conversation. Hopefully that means there's good friendships in this place. But hopefully also it means that uh, this might be a spot where we create friendships right here at the Vine. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm a church plant resident here at the Vine Family Church. And just excited to be continuing to preach from the book of Proverbs this morning in our series on wisdom. And this morning we're going to be talking about friendship. And friendship matters, right? It's, it's important. Uh, we, we get that. Um, you know, John Donne famously said, right, no man is an island. Or as God put it, it's not good for man to be alone, right? And yet, despite the fact that we know friendship's important, and despite the fact that we know that friends shape us and it's incredibly important, this idea of friendship, we often find friendships hard, right? They're not always the easiest things to navigate. And maybe some of you here this morning are coming in and you feel a lack of friendship. You feel that there's that void there and you're crying out for that. Maybe some of you here this morning are in a difficult spot in a friendship where maybe there's been pain or hurt and you're trying to figure out how to work through that. Maybe some of you have been so hurt that your temptation now is to say, you know what, I just want to kind of keep my distance. I don't want to get too close to anybody anymore. Or maybe you're just trying to figure out, well, okay, I'm part of this church family and not everyone's like me. How do I get to know someone who's not like me? How do I befriend a college student as someone in their early 40s? Or college students, how do you befriend someone in their mid-30s with kids? What does that look like? It looks different than friendships with just people like your peers. How do we do friendships well? We struggle. And yet God has wisdom for us from his word And he wants to redeem friendship. And he wants us to understand how he first designed it. And that's why he knows how it works well. He designed it. He designed friendship. He knows its ins, its outs. He knows the human heart because he made it. And the way our human heart is tempted and falls short and struggles. And so he knows wisdom to speak to us. But not only does God know it because he designed it, but get this, God... 2,000 years ago, God the Son took on human form as Jesus, a little baby, just you know, even tinier than the one we saw when he was first born. And he grew up, and he had friends, and he was a friend, and he was hurt by friends, and he still loved. And so as we hear wisdom speaking, as we've heard you know, weeks ago, wisdom is Jesus speaking to us. So he does not just speak to us from the detached designer of friendships, He speaks to us as one who knows intimately what friendship feels like. And he wants to speak to us a good word about how to do friendships well. So this morning, we're going to ask really two questions. Why is friendship so important? And how do we do friendships well? Before we dig in, we're going to be looking at a lot of texts this morning from Proverbs. Let's pray and ask that God would help us to listen and see and learn and live. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to gather as your people. It's not a luxury that everyone has. I think of uh, even our our partners in North Africa last week and how they shared how uh, really there's just them and one other family in a whole city. And we're blessed here to have so many people we get to gather with. So I pray that we would not miss your kindness to us already this morning. And I pray that as we hear about the topic of friendship and as we come in probably with different wounds and hurts and ideas and experiences, 
that we would bring those and allow your word to tell us how to think about it, to teach us how to walk in the midst of friendships so you would be honored and glorified. pray this in your name. Amen. All righty, so first question, why is friendship so important? Well, asking that question is kind of like asking why does a car need an engine to run? It's because it was designed to have an engine to run, right? You can't have a car running without an engine. In the same way, God made us from day one to be in the context of friendships. So in the very first chapters of the Bible, it talks about the creation of mankind. It talks about paradise, perfection, nothing is wrong. And there's this repeated line of, it is good, it is good, it is good, until we hit Genesis chapter 2, 18, and we finally hear something that's not good. This is what it says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. It's not good that he's alone. I'm going to make him a helper. And this is a term that God uses of himself. So it's not like, you know, a servant or a hireling. Helper is like teammate, right? Helper. And so God says, look, even before life got hard, even before our rebellion against God and selfishness and greed and bitterness and envy and all these things got lodged in our hearts, even before life was hard, I designed life to be a team sport. From day one, it was designed to be a team sport. Just like it'd be really hard to go out and win a basketball game by yourself. I mean, I don't care if you're LeBron James. If you're taking on five other people, you're probably going to lose, right? God said, look, Life is a team sport from day one. And so how much more do we need someone to walk with us now that life's gotten really hard and messy because of sin, right? Ecclesiastes just paints this picture for us so well. In Ecclesiastes 4, the writer says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Right? The, the picture's clear there. It's what you two sings about. Sometimes you can't make it on your own. Right? We, we know that. And yet, a lot of us have experienced deep hurt from friends which makes it complicated, right? So on one hand, we can say, yeah, you can't make it alone, but sometimes it hurts a lot to have friends. And so maybe the temptation is to say, you know what? I've been hurt enough times. I've been hurt so deeply. I'm not going to go there again. Proverbs 18.1 raises this. says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you're isolating yourself, you're only seeking your own desires, as Proverbs is saying. Look, I get it. You've been hurt. You're only thinking about what's good for you. But have you stopped to think about how other people are losing out because you are not giving yourself as a friend to them? But even if you only think about yourself, the Proverbs tells us you're breaking out against all sound judgment. You're doing something that doesn't make sense. You're going against the design. It's not going to work well. You might think you're going to avoid some pain, but really you're just exchanging it for a different kind of hurt, a different pain, pain of loneliness. And you're going to miss out 
on God's goodness in friendship. C.S. Lewis, I think, summarizes this so well in this quote. He says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it, it, it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So he's saying... Yeah, you might not get a broken heart, but is what you're going to end up with any better? No, you're breaking out against all good design. But maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, that's, that's, that's nice to say, but you don't know the pain that I've walked through. And you're right, I don't. But Jesus knows. And Jesus also knows a little bit something about pain. Because he poured himself into 12 men for three years every day. And you know what those 12 guys did on the day he needed them the most? Ten of them abandoned him. One of them denied knowing him three different times. And one of them was the one that betrayed Jesus to death for money. You don't think Jesus knows about pain and friendship? That he doesn't know what it feels like? And you know what's even crazier is that Jesus, before he picked any of those 12 guys to be his friends, knew they would all do that. And he still picked them. Be his friends. He still chose to walk in God's good design, and he's calling us to that same thing. Maybe some of you think, okay, well, I'm not going to go that far and just totally isolate myself, but, you know, I, I can be friendly and not have friends go too deep. You know, like, I'll let them into the front porch of my life, but not into the living room, right? Proverbs 18, 24 addresses this. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Saying, look, you can have a lot of companions. You can have a lot of acquaintances that still doesn't guard you from coming to ruin. What you need is a friend who sticks closer than a brother or sister. You need someone who knows you that well and who will walk with you. And this is a little hard, right? Because in our day and age, it's easy to have lots of companions, lots of acquaintances. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you, right, have 639 friends on Facebook, right? I mean, you're covered. You've got this friendship thing down. And you share your life with them. They see all about you, all the vacation pictures, all the posts about, like, how great your marriage is. But maybe if your life is a little bit more messy than that, maybe you need not just Facebook friends, but real friends that actually know about the things that happen in between all the posts and all the vacation pictures the friends actually know the hard things you're walking through and say, I'm going to keep walking with you. That's the kind of friends we need to avoid ruin, right? We can't just have acquaintances. And Proverbs isn't saying here, just huddle up with kind of your two or three friends and kind of ignore everyone else. It's not saying, just just hang out and clicks, let's isolate ourselves. It's not what's going on. What it is saying, though, is even though we're called to love our neighbors and befriend people, you still need a couple good people to walk with you like a brother or a sister. That they know you well enough and what pushes your buttons because maybe they're the ones pushing your buttons because they're that much in your life. You know what I'm talking about? 
That's what you need, says Proverbs. And if we need these kinds of people to be close to us, Proverbs says also, be careful who you let that close to you because Proverbs 13, 20 says, the one who walks amongst the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Right? Friends influence us. They shape us. They shape our likes, our dislikes, what we do, our activities, our character, our destiny. So Proverbs is saying, look, be careful because if you want to become wise, you need to walk with the wise, not fools. I, I was thinking, just thinking about this when I heard an interview of one of the four sw- swimmers from Rio. I think his name was Jack Conger, I think. And he just shares the bit of the story of the night. And it's like, here's a guy who sounds like from the story didn't do anything, but he was with guys that vandalized a gas station and ended up in a bunch of trouble. Right? You don't want to walk with those kinds of people in that close a way. You want to be careful who you walk with, says Proverbs. And again, if you want to walk with the wise, where does wisdom start? Fear of the Lord. Someone who knows God and loves God is going to be the best person to help you walk with wisdom. And again, Proverbs is not saying don't ever hang out with anyone that could have, have any negative influence on you. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is those people, the close friends, the ones that really shape you and you go to for advice, those ones, the ones that have the most amount of influence, be careful. So Proverbs tells us in 12.26, I like how the NIV translates it, the righteous choose their friends carefully but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Because they know friends have such an influence, the wise person, the righteous person, chooses their friends carefully. And that word chooses is used most of the time in the Old Testament for the activity of spying before a military campaign, to spy out the land. So this picture, right, is you're spying out your close friends. You're making sure they're going to be people that when you invite them all the way into your life, that they're going to be good and going to point you to loving Jesus more. And so we need to be careful which friends we pull in that close as Proverbs. And we kind of know that, right? We have Proverbs even in our own culture, right? Birds of a feather flock together. You can tell a person by the company they keep. We have these Proverbs even in our own country about the influence of friends. So why do we sometimes pick bad friends? I think Proverbs 29, 25 gives us a good clue. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Well, what's the fear of man? It's caring so much about what people think that you will act in ways to please them and get their approval. And what Proverbs is saying is if you are about getting your approval and identity and value from people, you're setting yourself up with a trap. Because that's not always going to leave you in a good spot. Just like a car is meant to run on gas, we were wired to run on relationship, right? We need relationships to keep going. And yet, there's a temptation sometimes with that tank to fill it with things that aren't good. So one time I was renting a car, and I rented a diesel in one country. I was in a different country now, and it was back to gas. And as I'm, like, racing to get to the airport on time, stop at a gas station to fill up, I grab the diesel, right? Go to put it in, and right as I start to click it, I'm like, wait a minute. That was the last country, not diesel. Pull it out. I'm okay. But do you know what would have happened if I would have put diesel in that car? It would not run. It would kill the engine, basically, right? You need to siphon it all out. It would have been a disaster. It would lead to ruin. 
And that's the thing what Proverbs is saying here. It's saying, look, in your emotional tank of wanting to be known and loved, sometimes it's tempting, if you're feeling empty, to stick anything in there. But some things you stick in there will lead to ruin. What's safe, though, is trusting in the Lord. What's safe is saying, I'm going to find my identity in Him. I'm going to find that emotional tank filling in God. And that's safe because He will not lead you to ruin. We need friends who will help us love God. But we need, first of all, to have our tank filled so that we don't go to friendships so desperate for anything we stick in the wrong stuff. That's because what friends are meant to do is help us become wise. Or as Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. You're supposed to sharpen each other, help each other become more wise and grow. And a piece of iron can't sharpen itself, right? That's why you can't be isolated. A piece of iron can't sharpen another piece of iron by being like an inch apart. That's why you can't just have acquaintances. A piece of iron needs to be right up, rubbing against, bumping up against this other piece of iron. And it's got to be iron, because if it's some weak metal, it'll just break. You need actually to have good iron rubbing up against you. And then you'll grow wise. And then you'll be able to continue on the difficult path of wisdom, because you'll have people pushing you along. This is why friendship matters. So how do we do friendship well if it matters so much? Well, a lot of times I think our temptation here is to say, okay, I got it. We need good friends to help us grow. Where can I find a good friend? Like, which one of you is really mature? I want you to be my friend, right? You know what I'm talking about? But we cannot think that, right? But actually the key is to stop looking for a friend. Start being the friend. Stop looking for the friend that will fill you up and sharpen you. Start being the friend who pushes people and encourages them and sharpens them, right? Start being the friend that is so filled up from Jesus emotionally that you actually have something to give rather than get. That you can actually love more so than be loved. That you can serve rather than be served. This is what Jesus did for us. He says this in Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, this is the way we do relationships in my family. You don't come to get, you come to give. You don't come to receive, you come to bless. You don't come to be loved, you come to love. You don't come to be served, you come to serve. That's what I, I did for you. I deserve to be served, says Jesus, but I chose to come and serve you when you were my enemy and against me. And I served you all the way to the point of giving up my life as a ransom on the cross to pay the price that God's justice demanded for our sin. That's how I show friendship. And that's the path I'm calling you to walk. That's the path I want you to follow in. So how do we become this kind of giving rather than getting friends? Well, Proverbs says a lot about this, but I just want us to quickly look at three different ways we can be this kind of friend. Love loyally, forgive freely, and communicate constructively. Love loyally, forgive freely, communicate constructively. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all 
times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Not just the convenient times, but at the all times, right? There's not this bailing out like, I'm not getting enough from you, so I'm going to bail out now. It got a little hard now, I'm going to bail out now. No, a friend loves loyally. They stick it out. They love at all times. Now, there are times where maybe that friendship does need to shift and change. Like maybe you move away from people, right? Proverbs gets this and says, yeah, we are physical beings, God made us that way. And as much as technology can make us feel connected to people, there's nothing that replaces being physically close to people. So Proverbs 27.10 says, Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who's far away. Why? Because if your car breaks down, I don't care how good a friend you have in Minnesota, they can't come and help you fix your car, right? You know? But if you have someone that like, lives like, in your neighborhood, they can come over and say, Hey, man. You know, yeah, I can put, you know, put something off and come over and help you, right? So there's this goodness to having local friends. And we need to love these people locally all the time because it takes time for people to know we're not there just to get. Because the Bible's really honest, right? The Bible knows that there are some people that just want to get out of friendship. So Proverbs 14, 20 says this. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Now, Proverbs is not saying that's good. It's saying that's just the way it is, right? You look around the world, rich people who have a lot to give have a lot of people that want to get from them. It's not really a true friend, but they have the appearance of having lots of friends. So there are people like that. So how do you prove that you're not just to get, but you're a giver? You stay. You commit. And you love at cost, right? So when your friend needs help moving and you had a long week of work, you still get up at 8 a.m. on Saturday and go help them move because you love at all times. Or that time when, like, the phone rings and you've had a long day at work and you pick it up and you see it's your friend and you know they're going through a hard time and you're like, oh, no, this is going to be an hour conversation with them and I don't want to spend an hour on the phone with them right now. You know what I mean? A friend loves at that time. A friend is loyal. A friend pays the cost financially pays the cost emotionally. A friend keeps loving. It's Mark 10, 45, right? You don't think about being served. You think about serving. You think, how can I love my friend well? And so, can I just challenge us in, in kind of two ways me about this, as a vine family? When you come here on our, to our Sunday gathering, do you come with the mindset of, how can I love others this morning? Do you come with the mindset of, how can I make the new person feel welcome and go out of my way and say hello? How can I befriend? How can I go there with the mindset of, God, would you help me to see if someone needs an encouraging word today? Maybe I need to follow up with someone and ask them how they're doing and pray for them. Or do you come only with the mindset of, what am I going to get today? Or if you're thinking of joining a city group, that's our small group structure, or you're in one, are you thinking, man, I just hope I'm in a city group with people just like me who will bless me. I'm just hoping I can just get so much from Citigroup. Or are you going in there and saying, God, will you help me to serve people tonight? Will you help me to listen and bless someone with an encouraging word? Or maybe help me to have wisdom to ask a good question and go a bit deeper? Would you help me to see if I need to follow up with someone after Citigroup's meeting to see if they need a little help here? Would you help me to come in with the mentality of serving and loving? What would our family church family look like if all of us by God's grace 
loved a little more loyally instead of just saying what we could get. We don't just need to love loyally. We need to forgive freely. Because one of the all times we need to love in is the times when our friends hurt us. And Proverbs is very honest about this. Proverbs 17, 9 says this. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Right? There are going to be times where we're hurt. And Proverbs says you have a fork in the road there. I'm not talking about covering it up. I'm not talking about burying it, hiding it, pretending it didn't happen. What I'm saying is there's a fork in the road, says Proverbs. You can choose when you're hurt to be like, to go to your other friends and be like, I cannot believe what Joe just did. Joe hurt me in this way. I can't believe Joe. And just bad mouth, right? You can do that. People do that a lot. Or you can instead say, my friend hurt me. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to downplay it. It hurt. But I'm going to choose, instead of bad-mouthing, instead of hurting them back, to take the hit for the sake of our friendship. A friend of mine wrote a blog post I just thought was so sharp on this, so I'll just read this real quick. It says, The challenge of any community is that we all have ways of being that cause tremendous pain to others. Our own assumptions of what is due to us or just our unconscious drives for love, affirmation, and satisfaction can make life unbearable to others. We sin both by demanding what others cannot give and by not giving what we have never even thought of giving. Yet the real pain caused by our inattention and habitual desire is serious. That is why the only real community that can exist is a Christian community. A real community must be sustained by forbearing the pain caused by others. We must be able to say, this pain I charge not to them because God has not. In fact, God has not charged to me the pain I am causing them, but has become the great bearer of pain, making forgiveness possible. And since human forgiveness and forbearance is always responsive to God's forgiving, my forbearing this pain is simply doing less than what God has done for me in Jesus. When a friend hurts you, to turn the other cheek, to pay the cost to keep that relationship alive, that's hard. Actually, it's impossible on your own. You can't do it. Unless you understand that God has already done that for you. Unless you understand that you deserve to be on the outside of a relationship with him, headed for an eternity in hell, and yet God has said, I'll take the cost of your sin to keep our relationship alive. And if you know that, and if your tank has been filled up with that kind of truth and love, then when the friendship comes and you get hurt, there's something in the bank to draw on to keep the relationship going. You can actually say, I'm going to treat you better than you deserve because God has treated me better than I deserve. And six months from now, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to bring it up as a weapon to hurt you later because God doesn't bring up my past sins. I'm going to cover your sin with love. That's what God is calling us to do in friendship, to be the ones that bear the pain to love others because that's what he has done for us. And if you think about it, one of our greatest needs often is to feel like we're deeply known and deeply loved 
And God says, I've done that for you. I've known you all the way to the bottom and seen how ugly you are, and I still love you. And so what a great gift that is for us, right? What a great gift it is for us to give that gift to our friends. To say in that moment when they hurt us, I've seen your ugliness, and I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to walk with you. I'm not going to bail out because God hasn't bailed out on me. And when you do these first two things well, loving loyally, forgiving freely, then you win the right to do the third. Communicate constructively. Because when people have seen you walk with them through hard times, when they've seen that you don't bail on them and you love them when they hurt you, then when it comes time to say a word that's hard for them to hear and that might hurt them, they'll still know you love them because you've proven it day after day after day. You proved it when you love them even when they hurt you. And Proverbs 27, 6 says that a good friend does this. A good friend says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, it's easy just to offer kisses to people. It's hard and is much more loving to sometimes wound them to heal them. Right? I mean, if your friend is about to go off the road of wisdom and into the ditch of destruction, even if they think that they're doing a good job driving, you've got to bust their bubble and say, you are not a good driver on the life of wisdom right now. You are driving into a ditch. It doesn't matter if you don't like hearing that. As your friend, I have to love you enough to care about you to point that out. You need that. We need help this way. Maybe some of you have examples in your own lives. I can think of one example I had when I was in college, working for the summer, cutting grass for the city, and all these, my coworkers were talking about this new movie that just came out to DVD and, and how awesome it was and cool it was and all the cool action scenes. And I knew it was a movie I shouldn't watch. You know, like, there's going to be stuff in that movie that I do not want to stick in my brain. It's not going to help me honor God. It's not going to help me love God more. But all week they're talking about this movie and, like, like my conviction is slowly being eroded. You know what I mean? So it gets time to the weekend, and my friends are like, ah, oh, let's go watch a movie. So I go to the movie store to pick out movies, and I grab this one movie, which seriously, the title should have given it away, Sin City. I mean, what am I doing picking that up, right? And then there's this other movie, and I'm like, ah, that's, what do I do? So I call up my buddy Stan. We've been friends for years. Stan, having a hard time deciding between these two movies, this one and Sin City. He was like, Mike, you're an idiot. Put it down, grab the other one, and come back home right now. And I needed that, right? Like, I'd been worn down all week by people that were going to lead me into ruin. And a brother of mine said, dude, you're just being an idiot. And because he'd walked with me for years, I heard that in love. And it helped me, right? We need that in our lives. We need people, and we need to be the people that know people well enough and have loved them well enough that we can speak that kind of truth and they can listen. Or as Proverbs uh, 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That, that your counsel is sweet to them like perfume, that you know them well enough that you know what they need to hear in a situation, right? And you care enough about them to speak what they need to hear. And oftentimes I think we're hesitant to speak truth to people because we're afraid of what it will do to the relationship, right? Like, uh, this might make things awkward. But you know what we're doing in that moment? We're p- thinking about ourselves. We're saying, how is this going to affect me? 
if I talk to my friend? Rather than saying, wait, what's best for my friend, even if it costs me? What if it costs me strain in the relationship by speaking truth they need to hear? Isn't that the loving thing to do? Anyone can offer kisses, but a friend is willing to sometimes wound to heal. So what about you? Do you know someone well enough? Have you loved them loyally enough? Have you forgiven them freely so that they can hear this kind of truth from you? Who are those people in your life? Who are the people that you are being this kind of friend to? We need friends. Fine family, this needs to be part of our culture, part of our DNA. We have it up on the wall, community, friends. We need to be a community where we're not isolated, where we don't just keep people on the front porches of our lives, where we welcome people in and we walk together through hurt, through difficulty, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, loving one another, being patient with one another, sticking it out, speaking truth to one another in love so we can all grow up into wisdom, into Jesus. That's hard. That's hard. And that's why we're going to need to depend a lot on Jesus. We're going to need to daily remember how Jesus has befriended and loved us. And say, okay, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, help me to take a little bit of that and pass it on. Because you can't do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. We need him. But imagine if every one of us, and together corporately, in our city groups, in our Sunday gatherings, grew a little bit more to look like Jesus in how we choose to be friends? What if everyone has tried to grow a little bit more in thinking less of what we can get and more of what we could give? What might God do in and through that community for his glory? Let me pray. Father, your word says that it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us. You not only freely forgave us and loved us at cost, but you didn't do it when we were your friends. You did it for us when we were your enemies. How kind you have been to us. So how much more do we need to reflect that to our friends, to our family? We can't do this without your help. And so we ask you, Father, use your Holy Spirit to empower us. Remind us of the love your Son has shown for us in being the best friend who loved the most loyally, who forgave the most freely, and who spoke to us the truth we need to hear again and again. So, Father, I pray that you would help us just a little bit more by your Spirit to look like these kinds of friends. For your glory, amen.